From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 66. Today's show is brought to you by Lynda.com, text expander from Smile and Igloo. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Federico Vitigi. Hello, Federico. Hello, Mike. And Stephen Hackett. Hey, boys. So we are uh, back after a very stressful week, at least for Federico. <laughs> yes. Um, how are you feeling now? Are you feeling calm? We're going to talk about um, your review in a little bit, but you feeling good now? Yeah, I'm feeling better. I'm catching up. Um, still going through my emails, some new apps that I want to try. But I feel like I'm almost caught up and, and you know, I'm, uh, I'm super relaxed at the moment. I spent a very la- relaxing weekend and I could just feel like the all the stress like wearing off, going away. That's good. So I'm I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good, Mike. Do you know who's not feeling very good? Um, audio, <laughs> audio users. Oh, yes. poor guys, poor guys. Uh, I wanted to put this in here just because music streaming services have been such a long running thing for us, and it was kind of like when Everpix shut down, you know, even though none of us were using audio at the time, which is probably the issue, but uh, as we record <laughs> this yesterday, November 16th, uh, the news broke, the audio is shutting down, they've gone bankrupt, and Pandora is buying their kind of key assets for $75 million. So audio's gone, right? And and yeah. uh, in maybe not a mean way, but Pandora is kind of just like picking the bones you know mm-hmm. they just they've just gone in and bought up what's like what the assets that are left to help probably audio pay off its debts uh this was inevitable i think and it's kind of mean i feel like i kind of mean to say that um but with apple music it just kind of felt like audio had no place anymore like even though they did things that were different and did things in an interesting perspective but if you get another massive player it feels like some of the small players are going to start to disappear titles next uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I used audio for many years. After yep, We all did, so, right? We all did. Yeah. I, uh, Spotify was the service that got me into, into streaming services. But after Spotify, so back in 2010, up until maybe 2013 even, uh, I used audio with a family account. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the design and it, it, the service got so many features and details right for me, uh, like the new releases section and every Tuesday, back when it used to be New Music Tuesday. Um, it was the the perfect new release page that, that I wanted. And also to find out what was kind of uh, good in your network of people. That yeah. was my favorite thing yeah. about audio, right? Like it helped me find music uh, from like-minded individuals. So I was finding new stuff. I, I always really liked that about the service. It had yeah. real kind of good social stuff in it. Yeah, and you could you could sort by label. Uh, you know, it's a it's a tiny little detail that other services don't have. And me and my girlfriend, we used a family account on Audio for many years. She still says that Audio had the best design and like the, yep. the overall structure of all the services. And it kind of reminds me, in a way, of Everpix. You know, the parallel here is that they both had great designs, loved by tech people I would innovative say innovative features um, but eventually it died because it wasn't as popular with the masses maybe mm-hmm. as other services like Spotify and Apple Music or you know Google Play Music even um, so it's a, it's a sad day for RDO lovers but as you say we kind of saw this coming you know uh, it was inevitable at some point it was the less differentiated of, a, of them all not in terms of you know, little design details or specific features, but for the general public, 
there was no reason to use audio instead of something like Spotify or Apple Music or Google. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pouring one out for audio. Yes, yes. I mean, I think, I think it's another example where, like in so many industries, you can really only have two major players. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see that in operating systems a lot. But, I mean, even like big... Um, like big photo services, all these things, like they, it just often feels like the third place guy gets squeezed out. And um, I mean, it is rough, and I'm sure a lot of people are uh, affected by it, but I agree with you guys. I feel like if you didn't see this coming, you were kind of not paying attention. Yep. I'm sure that they did too, but there's only so much you can do, right? You, you just keep fighting at it, but at a certain point, there's, there's not really anything you can do other than kind of like cross your fingers and hope. It's a shame. Yep, it's a shame. I, I agree. Uh, in lighter news, uh, I have an incredible uh, image here sent via a tweet from <laughs> Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel did an artist's rendition of Federico parading his iPad around his uh, home uh, attached <laughs> yes. to his pencil like a picket so sign. So good. It is incredible. Uh, I I don't like to ask for things, you know, because I feel like it's a it's a it's a bit um, mean. But Gabriel, I would love a kind of a, a colored version of this because uh, I can see that you started to ink it. Um, I would love to see like a full finished colored version of this. That would be that would make me very very happy. Um, I would probably make a sticker out of it. Can I just point out a little detail here in the picture? So on the iPad screen, it says in Italian "Abbiamo tastiere in italiano," and these. Uh, it's not perfect, so Gabriel, sorry if I, uh, but I have to point this out. Uh, I guess what you wanted to say is we want Italian keyboards because right now it says we have Italian keyboards. Oh. Um, <laughs> so maybe what you wanted to say is vogliamo tastiere in italiano, which would be we want keyboards in Italian. It's such a small detail, but it completely changes it. <laughs> yes, because you know, especially in relation to the review and my complaints about the Italian layouts. I guess what you wanted to what you wanted to say is we want instead of we have, uh, but it's a it's a such a great picture, and I love how he, you know my hairstyle, the jacket, uh, yeah. the shoes, and the pillow. Uh, you know for it. protection. Totally yeah, it nailed it. Perfect. It perfect. is excellent. It, it really really made me laugh when I saw it, uh, which is why I want more of it. But uh, Gabriel, if you are willing, <laughs> that would be amazing. If you're not, that is also okay. You did a fantastic we still, job. We still love you. Yes, Gabriel. we do. We do still love you indeed. If somebody in the in the chat room uh, suggested making it a fracture, which is also a very, very good idea. Yeah. They're not a sponsor today, but it's also a very, very good idea. Now, Federico, you have uh, a very important topic that you'd like to share yes. with us today. And I wanted to keep this as a surprise for you guys because, mm-hmm. I, you know, I like surprises. So, you know that, I, that I've been doing some very important field reporting on car sharing services in Italy. Yes. And I like to keep tabs on the car sharing scene in Italy with my friends. So let me tell you a little story. Uh, last week, uh, before, actually maybe about 10 days ago, it was before the iPad review. It was the Friday night before. I was out for dinner at a friend's house. I know because I, I remember I sent Stephen a picture. Um, and we were talking and my friends were like, do you want to go to the club later because we're going to the club? And I, and I was like, no, I don't want to go tonight. I got I to gotta finish my review. Uh, they knew that I was writing my, my iPad article. Good boy. And, uh, you know, I, I was dedicated to the cause. I needed to write. Um, but I asked him, are you going to take your car? Uh, and I asked this because a few weeks before, 
uh, a friend of mine, uh, her car got broken into in front of the club. And by some people, they stole, you know, a bunch of jackets and, and a wallet that was left in the car. So my friends, I knew they didn't want to take a car to the club anymore. Um, and they and my friend replied, yeah, we're not going to take my car. We're going with, a, with an enjoy car. And I was like, what's an enjoy car? So there's this service in Italy. It's called Enjoy. And it's uh, a car sharing service with, with a particular twist. So you don't want to use your car. Or maybe you don't have a car. And you have a smartphone. So you download this Enjoy app. And you find... So you, you provide your location with, uh, with Apple Maps. And it finds these Fiat... Uh, cars around you. They are red Fiat, you know, the Cinquecento, the 500. Um, <laughs> is that what they call it in Italy? Cinque the Cinquecento? Yeah. Yes. That is course. amazing. That what do you is call so it? Be- what, it's just the Fiat 500? No, no, the Cinquecento. But I'd never um, considered that, right? That obviously it's not 500. That's stupid. <laughs> no. But like, it just sounds way better when you say it. And like, there's a bunch of Italians walking around going, that's the Fiat 500. No, that's not what happened. <laughs> no, no. So you got this bunch of Fiat, uh, red Fiats. Um, and, and I saw these cars for many, many months before. I just never realized. I just thought it was some kind of advertising for, you know, there's people who put stickers on their cars for money. You know, f- like free publicity for companies that want to put stickers on people's cars, and you you get some money out of it. And uh, I thought it was just some kind of deal in Rome. Instead, it's a company. It's called Enjoy, and it it's got this fleet of Fiat cars. You use a smartphone, and you find a car around you, um, and it, and it shows you all these little cars on a map. So it can be green if it's available. It can be yellow if it's busy, means it's taken by someone else, or it can be red if it's currently on the road. Um, so what you do is you basically you rent a car. So this car is parked somewhere, and you say, "I want to take this car," and you have 15 minutes to go to get to the car. You know, by walking or any other means, you go to the car, and those free 15 minutes you don't pay anything. When you're in front of the car, from your smartphone, you unlock the car with the app. You get into the car and the, you start paying a fee. It's like 10 cents or 15 cents a minute for driving. So you drive. You, all the details are from the smartphone app. So your credit card information for payments, your personal details. So they got your first name, your last name, all your information. Uh, you unlock the car with the phone. You start driving. You can go only in a certain area in the map. So you cannot go from Rome to Viterbo. You can, say, drive for, I don't know, two or three blocks. When you're done, you just park the car. You leave it in a good condition. You get charged on your smartphone. You leave the car in, you, you, you leave the keys inside. And you, the car automatically unlocks uh, when you're you know, out of the car. You leave the car there, and it's available for someone else to use. So my friends told me they use this car sharing service all the time where they need to go somewhere and they don't want to use their car. They're just f- see if, uh, if an enjoy car is available from the phone. They walk to the car. They got 15 minutes. Uh, they get into the car. They unlock with the phone. Uh, the car is fully furnished inside. So you get, a, you get a, a GPS navigator. You get a USB plug if you want to charge your smartphone. Uh, you cannot smoke in the car, of course. You gotta leave it in a good condition. 
And whenever they need to go to the club or maybe go somewhere, you know, in the morning, they don't want to use a, use a scooter or maybe th- their own car. They just use an Enjoy car and they pay like a couple of euros to, to go to somewhere nearby. And it's super popular, they told me. And it's just like Blah Blah Car. Uh, I had no idea this existed. Uh, so I went to the website. I looked it up on Wikipedia. It's a car sharing service. Apparently, it's available in Rome, in Milan, and in Florence, and in Turin, maybe. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I witnessed the process. So uh, we were at dinner. And when I was done, I was like, I got to see this. You know, I got to talk about this on the podcast. So I walked to the car with my friend. And uh, indeed, the car was parked like in a street. Uh, it was a very quiet street. And my friend went there with a the smartphone from the from the iPhone. He unlocked the car. The car was like boom, boom, and it unlocked. <laughs> and it got it got into the car, and it was a it, it was this red Fiat with a bunch of Enjoy stickers. And it, uh, the keys were inside. Uh, it was basically you know super simple. Uh, and this is very popular. And I had no idea. And they were like, come on, you don't know the, the Enjoy cars? I was like, no. And, you know, I have a car. I always use my car. But it's such a great idea, such a polished implementation. You know, it was flawless from the iPhone. I was super surprised. So I, I, I thought that you guys and our listeners would love to, to hear about this. It reminds me of a service called Zipcar, mm-hmm. which is in the US and it's in the UK. Uh, and it's very similar, right? You can hire a car for a certain period of time. You just need to find them on the street. They have an app, and the app unlocks the uh, the car. So it's, it's very similar in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I was, you know, so they they went to the club. They they left the car. Uh, they couldn't leave the car uh, just in front of the club. There's like a parking area. Um, but yeah, and afterwards they just took a took a taxi. Um, but yeah, it's a good service. Well, there we go. Thank you so much for your reporting from the field on Italian car sharing services and their sure. popularity. <laughs> <laughs> this week's episode is brought to you by lynda.com, the online learning platform with over 3,000 on-demand video courses to help you strengthen your business, technology, and creative skills. For a free 10-day trial, visit lynda.com slash connected. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash connected. With lynda.com, you can watch and learn videos created by experts who are super passionate about teaching. You can stream any of these thousands of video courses on demand. You can learn at your own schedule and at your own pace. And all of the courses that are on lynda.com are broken down into bite-sized pieces. So you can watch them from start to finish or in any order you like, or you can just jump in and find out that one piece of information that you need. And a real easy way to do that is to search the transcripts that they give of each of their videos. So you can very quickly jump in and just say like, oh, I want to search compression when you're looking in a, in a logic uh, work, if you're looking in a logic video, and you can just go straight to the compression section if that's what you want to learn. So I mentioned logic; that is a software program uh, for music and podcasters use it. You can learn how to use logic with Lynda.com. You can learn how to use Photoshop. You can learn how to develop iPhone apps. You can learn Swift. You can learn iOS app development essential training. You could even learn how to develop Android apps if you want. They have Android Studio essential training. You have Android Wear training. No matter what it is, no matter what you're looking to do, it's not just development and it's not even just software programs. They can teach you negotiation tactics and business skills. They can teach you marketing skills. Lynda.com is for people that want to solve problems, for people that are curious of 
people who want to make things happen. You can create and save playlists of all the courses that you want to watch to customize your own learning path, and you can share this with friends, colleagues, and team members. You can also watch and download courses to your Android or iOS device with the lynda.com app to learn on the go. Your lynda.com membership will give you unlimited access to training on hundreds of topics, all for one flat rate. Whether you're looking to become an industry expert, you're passionate about a hobby, or you're just trying to learn something new, go ahead and visit lynda.com slash connected to sign up for your free 10-day trial. Thank you so much to lynda.com for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Federico, how did your review go? How was it received? Because uh, obviously we recorded our episode just before you put your review up. So uh, I'm interested in seeing how it went for you. Uh, it went very well, well beyond my expectations. A lot of people were happy that I got a re- uh, review unit. And so I usually measure uh, this kind of result with two metrics, feelings and you know analytics. Uh, mm-hmm. The second one, very happy with the result. It's you know basically like uh, what I get typically in like a couple of weeks, maybe even three weeks, just in a couple of days, which was you know kind of crazy. Uh, of course, you know I ended up in a bunch of roundups for iPad Pro reviews, and so a lot of websites linking to to my review, a lot of people on Twitter. So in terms of traffic, it's really really good one. Uh, in terms Is it of as big or bigger than some of the other things you've done, like your iOS reviews and stuff like that? I was bigger than the iOS 9 review. Okay. Yeah. Bigger than the editorial? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, okay. editorial, it's, you know, it's such a geeky app. It, you cannot uh, hope to achieve that kind of exposure uh, <laughs> with a markdown text editor, Mike. Uh, <laughs> it was just slightly bigger than, the, than my iOS 9 review. So I was you know, really happy there. Uh, but in terms of feelings and like reactions from people, it was way higher than the response to my iOS 9 review, just because, you know, the sheer effect of the surprise. Uh, people, some people were kind of expecting me to have an iPad Pro, uh, especially, you know, after we posted the selfie from London. Um, but a lot of people were generally happy that I was able to try it in advance and to and especially you know kind of the angle that I use for my review. So instead of comparing it to a MacBook like most of the other reviews did, I kind of took a very pragmatic approach, I think, to just use the iPad Pro for what I usually do on the iPad Air 2. And I, because I don't use a Mac, um, people were happy to see that I also did the same with the iPad Pro. So I talked about multitasking, I talked about iOS instead of saying, yeah, you can do this on a Mac, you cannot do this on an iPad. So it was a maybe, you know, kind of a unique perspective and uh, at least, you know, that's the reaction that I saw in people and uh, I'm happy. It was definitely worth all the the stress and the fatigue and the the crazy uh, amount of hours spent, you know, writing and editing at night. So, yeah, I'm happy, Mike. Good. Now, both me and Stephen have uh, iPad Pros now. We both went out and bought them. Um, we want to talk about those a little bit today. But I wanted to start off uh, talking about something that you wrote, Stephen, um, a few days ago on the idea of there not being a flagship iPad Pro app from Apple. Do you want to just summarize your feelings on this? Yeah, I just I sort of had the, the thought that in the past, at certain times, Apple has, has used software to sort of show off its hardware. So the original iPad had iWork. The next couple of iPads, especially when they added the Retina display, got iLife app, so iMovie and iPhoto. 
uh, which of course is no more because uh, it was terrible. Uh, and and even going further back, they they've done this sort of thing, right? You uh, IMAX got CD burners when iTunes could burn CDs, that sort of thing. And the iPad Pro, for all of its unique characteristics, which I think we talked about, uh, you know, really well last week, there's not anything from Apple showing that off, and they've sort of um, just uh, put it out there and and are letting third-party developers, you know, pick up that mantle. And I'm not sure that's the right approach for a device like this. So I've heard this uh, criticism in a few different sources, and uh, one of the main things, and I think you, you called this one out as well, is that they should have made an app to demo the pencil, like a sketching app or an art app of some description. Um, where So I've been thinking about this, and, and I don't know if I agree uh, that Apple should be making an app for art. Like, the Notes app is a demo area for the pencil, right? It, from talking to people that have used them, uh, Federico, I'm sure that you agree, out of all of the apps that have pencil capability, Notes is the best, right? So yeah. the, the drawing area in Notes is kind of the place that you would demo this stuff. Um, and I don't really think that Apple should be focusing their attention on creating any kind of art app because this isn't something that they do. I don't think that they would be able to do as good a job as uh, some of these other companies. So Apple gave early access to people to make stuff better than they would be able to make it. Now, there is some question around the way that like the touch sensitivity is and the refresh rates and that sort of stuff, like how responsive the pencil is, but I'm sure some of that could be cleaned up. But I don't know if I agree that they need to make an artistic app. I do believe that they should have made a pro app of some description for the iPad, but in a field that they already have a foothold in. So like say they brought Logic or Final Cut or like a version of that to the iPad. I think that would have made more sense to me. I agree that there should have been something, but I don't think that an art app is the one, even though they introduced the pencil. Uh, Because like artists and graphic designers... I'm sure that they want apps from the companies that they know, use, and trust, like Adobe, and are maybe not as interested in an Apple one uh, when they haven't really got any chops in this area. Yeah, I, I mean, I see that. Um, I see what you're saying, and I think, I think the, I think uh, maybe the examples we disagree on, but I think we fundamentally agree that they should have done something mm-hmm. with it, as opposed to just sort of like, hey, it's out there, and. Um, you know, Apple's always really good at having their parties on stage to show off, you know, what they could do. You know, including the little guys who had the race cars a couple years ago that I can't ever stop thinking about. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mike, you and I were like in a hotel room watching the keynote and WBC were like, what it was going yeah, on? Yeah, it was, it was a real kind of mood killer. It was like the first really thing, was. wasn't it? Oh, yeah. I was like, well, I guess I'm going to go get a sandwich because I just don't care about WWDC anymore. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, get to San Francisco for this. <laughs> yeah, um, that's so bad. If you're listening, we're really sorry. We're picking on your company, uh, sort of. Yeah, and they do that right, and they they give access to you know certain developers, you know, Adobe, Microsoft, the lady who was cutting open that poor person's kneecap. Um, there's that advanced stuff, right? And they can show that off, and you know, there's stuff on day one that takes advantage of the iPad Pro's unique capabilities, but uh, I just, it feels sort of weird, especially in today's environment, which we're going to get to, just to put it out there without having a big, like, this is what this thing can do. Maybe it's, uh, 
uh, maybe it's you know pencil driven, maybe it's not, maybe it's just like look how powerful this thing is. Um, and someone emailed me uh, saying that iMovie was kind of that because iMovie got a big update and it can do like three streams of 4K video, according to the notes. I don't have any interest in that, so I haven't really played with it. But like, if, if that's the flagship, they would push it. You know, I don't think that's what they're. I think iMovie just got an update. You know, um, but uh, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, it's not a mood killer. It's not going to destroy the iPad Pro's sales or anything. I think. There's some other things that might be doing that, but um, it's this at the end of the day, this is not a huge deal. I just find it sort of curious that they didn't do something. Yeah, I wonder if maybe I totally agree with Steven. It would have been great to see Apple making their own pro app for for the iPad Pro, especially you know, kind of to set an example like they did with the original iWork for the for the iPad. Um, I wonder if maybe the reason is they want to wait for iOS to kind of stabilize on the iPad Pro to maybe ship a couple of updates uh, before doing their own Pro app. And this is no excuse for not having, uh, you know, a a Pro app on the iPad Pro, Uh, but maybe I'm just trying to understand why this is the case. And maybe, you know, waiting for iOS 9.2, maybe iOS 9.3 to kind of have a bunch of additions to kind of, you know, maybe make the software keyboard a little better, maybe improve uh, external keyboard support, maybe even have international keyboards for, you know, the smart keyboard for more types of users before releasing a pro app on the App Store uh, to the general public. I wonder if maybe they're just waiting for the iPad Pro ecosystem to kind of be more... uh, international more global more stable i don't know uh i would love to see final cut logic you know i I don't know if apple wants to make new types of pro apps like from the ground up the 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 pro apps that they have is you know logic and and final cut on the mac unless i'm missing something maybe they should make iad producer producer i don't know Uh, but still (laughs) it's got a pro in it you know it's, it's, there's no pro, so uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have to wait for next year. My fingers, as I said on Mac Stories, my fingers are crossed for Xcode on the iPad Pro. And uh, ne- next WWDC, it'll be it'll be fun to see what they do because you know WWDC is the is the audience for pro users, mm-hmm. and maybe that's you know the, uh, the 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 perfect stage to see here's what we've been doing on the iPad Pro is what we want to do for pro users on iOS. Uh, we'll see. So the other part of this conversation is whether pro apps can actually exist on iOS and if the app store, as it is currently, is even built to support them. So, like, for example, the Mac app store has logic in it, right? Um, And it's like, what is it, $250 or something like that? It's along Uh, those lines. It's like 200 bucks. Yeah. So, you know, it's a a high price. Now, uh, what... How would people react to see a two hundred dollar app on the iOS app store? Like, does that fit? Well, how would pro people react? That's you know, my mom is not gonna buy logic for the sure. iPad. But what if you're, you know, a pro and you wanna use an iPad for that kind of stuff on the go and maybe that's no problem for you? Uh you know, I, I think it'll it would actually set a good example for, for the app store to say we have casual apps. We have free apps, we have games, we have apps at $2, but it's also possible to make apps at $50, $100 maybe. And if the Omni Group can do it, I don't see why Apple cannot do it, honestly. Yeah, that's, that's a, that is a really good point. And I think Apple has to be the one to do to this point. I mean, we've talked about the race to the bottom a lot. And 
say that you're uh, just a developer who's going to build, you know, an audio editor, and there's there's some out there. Uh, Jason Snell used one to edit The Incomparable this week, where you guys talked about it on Upgrade. And, and that app is like what, like fifteen bucks or something? It's crazy cheap for what it is. It's like, and and I would imagine that developer feels like they can't charge more, and that if something is really expensive, someone's just going to find something that does almost all the same things for less money, anyways. You know, on the Mac, we have this legacy of software being expensive and software like coming before you guys were born, coming in boxes, you have to go to the store and get it. And that legacy is still around on the Mac and you see it in the Mac App Store, you see it outside the Mac App Store. Um, but iOS doesn't have that. And so the the norm is something something cheaper. I think the only way to like help correct that is for Apple to do it. I don't think third-party developers can go out and say, hey, I made uh, an audio editor and it's going to be uh, $100 uh, for, for your iPad. And even if they did, you know, the App Store has some structural issues. They can't target the iPad Pro. They can't... Um, you actually can't tar- target hardware hardly at all when you release an app through iTunes Connect. It's kind of like, it runs on the iPad. And, you know, you always see this in games, right? Like, you go to download a game and, like, capital letters are like... We yeah. do not support the iPad too. It's like, well, you can't really say that. What you're saying is your game doesn't work well on it, and you're sort of advising people not to download it if they have that device. And I think Apple's got to fix that structural stuff too. Yeah. Or the whole conversation is sort of a moot point. The idea of being able to target devices, I think, is one of the real key things. I know people talk about upgrade pricing a lot, but I think uh, this is harsh. But I think people need to get over that. That's never happening. Like it's just never going to happen. Um, even on an infinite timescale, I would say that they're just not going to do that. Uh, but the idea of targeting devices seems like a possible thing, especially if they're now starting to like bring iOS devices into the fold, like the iPad Pro, that can do things that other devices cannot do. Right? Like, they just so like if you want to, if you have an app that like really needs the pencil, right? No other iPad can even understand that it exists. Like in right. the screen size as well. Like I, I really feel like the iPad Pro is the device in which developers should be able to say, "I am making an app for that device," but they can't do that. You know, let me let me make a point here. Um, actually, two points. The first one is, I believe the App Store should get better at you know understanding system requirements, and it should be more like Steam or any other serious game store where it shows you like. It's not up to the developers to, you know, fill a, des- a description page with a bunch of plain text to explain the kind of hardware that you need. It's clearly shown in a text specification section that tells you you need this iPad and you know you cannot install on this iPad. You need these features. You need these accessories. That should be better. But I also want to briefly talk about developers because a common mistake that some developers do uh, is believing that uh, their apps could be sold to millions of people where instead they should accept the fact and leverage the fact that they're making apps for a a tiny portion of iOS users. That doesn't mean it's not profitable. So let me give you an example. If you make a, let's say, a a Markdown app or maybe, you know, a very specific GTD app, that kind of app that, you know, it's it's targeted at a very specific audience, if you price it at $2, because maybe you, you say, if I price this app at $2, maybe I can, you know, uh, attract more customers. But the people who don't need your app, 
who don't need, you know, a Python interpreter or, you know, a Markdown app or a crazy automation app, they're not going to be buying your app anyway. Even if it's $1, $2, it's always going to be, you know, too expensive. And I see developers making this mistake over and over. The people who need your app accept the fact that it's a tiny audience, that it's not the same audience of Clash of Clans or Angry Birds or Minecraft. You know, it's a different audience. But those people are willing to give you money and a lot of money if they really need your app. So there's this common mistake is pricing the app for the idealistic market of the App Store instead of using price points and, you know, making apps more expensive because the kind of, the kind of audience that you're after is going to give you money anyway and it's going to support you through the years and it's going to give you a lot of money when you compare that to, you know, a free app or, you know, a free game. And when it comes to pro apps... Uh, I think the Omni Group is not alone in setting a great example. There's, you know, apps for lawyers, apps for doctors, apps for technicians of any kind, apps for engineers. And these apps on the App Store, you can find them today. They're not, you know, I'm not dreaming about these apps. They exist. And they are priced at $50, $90. It's very expensive compared to, you know, free apps or $2 apps. But those developers not only accept the fact that, you know, they have a different audience, they also price their apps accordingly. And so if you say, I want to make this crazy Photoshop replacement for the iPad, but it's not going to give me, you know, a lot of a lot of money uh, if, I, if I sell it at $2 because the App Store system is broken. We could argue that Apple should provide better tools on the App Store for developers. And that's a different discussion. But as a developer uh, and as a marketing person, because you also got to be that, you got to understand your audience and you got to understand the kind of people that I'm building apps for. Are those people willing to give me this kind of money? Because basically you're leaving money on the table if you try to price, you know, your, your crazy productivity app, your pro app, your very advanced app at $2 just because all the other apps on the App Store are priced at $2. Um, I feel like... Apple should do something, and, you know, we could argue about that. But also, developers often just make apps and price them, you know, uh, according to what the 90% of the market says, instead of doing maybe a little more research and understanding maybe, you know, we should actually increase the price and we should cater to this kind of audience because that wouldn't be a problem and we would actually make more money. I don't disagree with that sentiment, like about knowing your customer base um, and kind of moving on it from there. But it, it it's difficult, you know, it is an issue when you, you feel like the environment that you're in doesn't support you, right? And that the, the platform that you're working for doesn't care about you. Like there is an element of that, I think, which scares away some developers from wanting to go down this route. Sure. Um, because if they don't believe that the people on the store that they're they're going into the market that they're going into will care, it makes the it makes the idea of building a product that is for a specific market it makes it quite a daunting thing when you're creating something for months and months and months that potentially nobody will buy because you're not confident that they're going to buy it. Well, I uh, I guess the 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 comparison here is: Do you want to be the next Justin Bieber? Or do you want to be the indie artist who plays at smaller venues but still makes, you know, money because that kind of audience is willing to pay for you and to support you? Uh, developers of productivity apps, pro apps, need to accept the fact that those apps are not going to be used by millions of people. And 
and this is a, a like a, a, even a personal struggle of mine. You know, when I write my stories, I want to have 50 million page views per month. I'm not going to have those page views because the kind of content that I write and the kind of people that I attract, I'm not going to, you know, there's just so many people who are interested in the kind of opinion and maybe writing that I do. So in theory, I would love to, you know, to have crazy page views, the same page views of The Verge or, you know, whatever other big site you have in mind. But I'm not going to be able to do that. And that's just an utopia, you know. <laughs> uh, it's just not going to happen. Uh, because there's just so many people in the world who are interested in supporting you for the kind of niche-specific content that you write or niche-specific app that you make. So everyone loves, you know, fame and popularity and millions of units of anything. Whether it's millions of people, millions of fans, and millions of money. But it's just not going to happen every time because, you know, pop content is not the same of specific content and pop apps are not the same as pro apps. And sure, the environment could be a little more welcoming. And that's why I think Apple should maybe do a little more, improve analytics, improve, you know, the tools that developers are given to manage reviews on the App Store. There's improved test flight, improve the developer tools. But also, on the developer's side, please, and I, and I say this to developers every time, try to understand your audience first. Don't, tr don't try to say, I made this cool text editor, why it's not becoming the next Angry Birds? Well, there's a reason, and the reason is people are just not going to use your app because there are just so many people who need that kind of app. If anybody understands the idea of creating niche content for smaller markets, it's us as well, right? Like, this is what we do every single day. Uh, we don't really target the general public with our content. We we make stuff that is more niche. And I understand that. Um, and it's kind of the same as you, Federico. But I think that podcasters and writers work in an ecosystem that supports them better than maybe Apple's ecosystem supports uh, indie developers who want to make something a little bit more niche. So, for example, with podcasts, there are a bunch of apps which have huge audiences that promote what we do. I mean, even Apple does a really good job of promoting our stuff, right? Which is really niche stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and it's the same for like for writers. There are bit like the bigger sites like The Verge, for example. They they there is a potential that they would link to you. That is not out of the the question. And also, you know, there are RSS apps and stuff like that which are built to kind of make getting your content really easy and because the ecosystems that we're both in maybe support independence on a more level playing field in some instances. Um, and of course, there is some, you know, there are changing biases like iTunes these days really does promote the NPR and the story-driven podcasts more than the stuff that, that we do. But we do still get level footing in some instances for some of the people. Like th there is more of a support there. So I think that I agree with you on the sentiment of, you know, making niche stuff. But I think that maybe our views are a little bit tainted by the fact that the audiences and ecosystems are maybe a bit larger for us than they are for True. people that are True. trying to, to build these applications. True, and I totally believe Apple should do a little more, uh, maybe evangelism or maybe even marketing. Like, why is there no App Store apps Twitter account? Like, there's one for, you know, App Store games, and there's a general App Store one that, you know, tweets about, you know, the front page stuff, basically. But there should be a Twitter account for, you know, people who work on iOS and people who buy productivity and utilities on, on, utilities on the App Store. And Apple should totally do a little more and maybe 
you know, even curate a little better and maybe put the spotlight on developers who make these kind of tools. Maybe reach out. We don't know if this happened, but maybe reach out to developers like the Sketch guys. Uh, they don't want to make an iPad version. Why is there not, no iPad version? So uh, Apple, whatever is in, is in their power, they should try to do, you know, developer evangelism and to reach out and to provide tools to make it better for developers. But I, I honestly believe that the at least 50% of the problem is on, is on the developer's shoulder. And that's, you got to understand your audience. On the other side, Apple should do better, should provide more tools and maybe more uh, publicity for these kind of apps. Uh, but also, I don't believe the system is inherently broken. That's my, at least what I feel. Before we move on from this, uh, if this type of discussion and content interests you you should listen to the release on this podcast because this is what they talk about every week so i'll put a link to those guys in the show notes as well um we still have a bunch of other things that we want to talk about in regards to the ipad pro uh currently me and steven have not even given our thoughts on the device so but before we do that let me take a second break this week to thank text expander from smile for sponsoring this week's episode this is you know we're talking about like pro apps and niche markets that are awesome this is one of them, right? Text Expander is one of these types of apps that exists and it is awesome and people love it. And it's built like a real kind of following around it. And it's an example of a, the type of app that can work and succeed, right? Because people love it so much that they talk about it. So like they live in a world where maybe it's more difficult right for them to to get traction because what they do is quite a nerdy thing but the people that have it love it so much that they want to talk about it all the time so let me explain to you what text expander is if you don't know it is an app it is a, is a little app that's on your mac and it's on ios as well that if you ever type the same sentences phrases or even words on a regular basis then text expander is something you need and it's definitely going to help you out it will save you time and effort by expanding short abbreviations into frequently used text and even pictures text expander will help you improve your communication on a daily basis. So like, for example, say you send out a bunch of emails all the time that tend to be quite similar in nature. You can increase the consistency of your email responses by creating form messages and snippets for common stuff. So you have the ability to customize stock replies. Like you can create a stock reply, but you can also add in kind of drop down and fill in fields. So you can put in people's names. You can select from different options. So it makes it really simple and really fast to send out standardized emails, but also providing a human and touch with these fill-in sections as well. You could maybe create a snippet for the meeting notes template that you have, right? So you go into a meeting and you set up a template in a Word document or something like that or a text file. So you can do this so nothing gets left out. You can set up a snippet for these notes so that you always make sure that you're following the same format. Or you could even use a snippet when requesting a reference from someone if you hire people for, for your job. So you can just make it super easy to get stuff that might take a little while to write out if you were just typing them without Text Expander. And with a new look and feel, Text Expander 5 is here to help you type even faster than ever before by making suggestions of frequently typed phrases to abbreviate and save time. Text Expander can remind you of missed opportunities to use your abbreviations whilst you're typing. And you can also sync your snippets amongst multiple devices by storing them on iCloud Drive or Dropbox. This means that you can access them wherever you want, even on Text Expander's uh, iOS app. So Smile have made a great iOS app for Text Expander and you can use your snippets in a bunch of other apps that have integrated them or you can use their iOS custom keyboard that comes with Text Expander for iOS, allowing you to use your snippets in absolutely any 
app. Text Expander 5 for the Mac costs $44.95 US. Upgrades are available for $19.95 for existing users, and it's free to those who purchased on or after January the 1st, 2015. You can find out more about Text Expander 5 by visiting smilesoftware.com connected. Please note that Text Expander 5 requires Yosemite and is ready for El Capitan, and Text Expander for iOS is available on the App Store for iPhone and iPad. So there's this Tim Cook Unleashed Europe thing going on right now? Yeah, he's taking a real tour right now of everywhere, just talking smack in every different country in Europe. Basically. Um, uh, So there's an article over on TechCrunch going to link to where he talks about uh, the Mac and iPad. And of course, you know, it's an interesting time for like two-in-one devices. The Surface Pro 4 is out, the Surface Book uh, for my, also for Microsoft is out where it's a laptop and then you do some magic and it's a tablet. And of course, Microsoft uh, with Windows is more or less one OS everywhere where on the Mac, you of course have OS 10 and iOS being sort of separate things. And the iPad Pro begins to merge those things a little bit that it comes with a keyboard um, and it comes with some multitasking, not true windowing, but you know, the ability to do more than one thing at once, which is defined iOS for a long time. And so there's, there's of course, hand-wringing for people saying, uh, is Apple going to, to merge uh, the MacBook and the iPad? And Tim Cook says no. Um, he says that they want to make the best tablet and the best notebook uh, in the world and that they can't do that in the same device, which, which I agree with. I think the Surface Book and the Surface Pro 4 and all these other things, as beautiful as they may be, have compromises. Um but there, there is this stress right now uh, from my people of of uh, the Mac that the iPad is is coming in and the iPad is going to come take our MacBooks away. And Cook is saying that that's not the vision they have. Um, but I think I think two things are important to to think about in that conversation. Then then we can move on. Uh, the first one is that Apple is not afraid of cannibalizing their own products. Um, they have said that repeatedly. I think a, a very famous example was the iPhone, where all of a sudden, you know, the the iPod, which was uh, even more than the Mac, a huge drive uh, for Apple's resurgence in the the two thousands. Um, you know, the iPhone comes out, and and then the iPod sales just dry up, right? And you know, people were asking about that, and Apple's response is, "Well, look, people are buying iPhones, and it's the iPhone is the best iPod ever." Uh, so we're fine with that. We're fine with cannibalizing our own sales. And I think in these conversations, the sentence always is, can the iPad Pro replace my MacBook? And if it does, then Apple's fine with that because they're still selling you an Apple product. And if your iPad replaces your Lenovo, then that's even better because you weren't an Apple customer and now you are. Uh, and so from Apple's perspective, I, I think it makes sense to keep them separate. And I think that the stress between the Mac and the iPad that that's not as big of a deal to Apple's sales as it as it may seem to some of us who feel a little more emotionally involved about it um but there is that tension right there's there's people like Federico who already you already do your work on an iPad which is awesome and then there's people like me who I could do a lot of work on my iPad but there's still some stuff that I have to do on my Mac and I wrote a little bit about that the other day uh, in a post on 512 and and then there's people behind us who are younger, people like you know, even as young as my kids who really only ever use an iPad and 
Um, that's just going to be what they grew up on. And there will still be Macs around, but uh, the, the landscape may be different. And so I, I feel like why all this is in the news and why so many people are just set themselves on fire over it is that it there's this stress, right? There's a stress, there's this tipping point of like, what does the iPad Pro mean for the Mac? And I think that the simple answer is we don't know yet. And yes, there are going to be more people who can use an iPad than ever for their jobs, but mostly because of the software stuff and stuff we've been talking about, the iPad can't do what I need it to do for my job. So for me, the iPad Pro is a really interesting device and I have many thoughts about it, but it doesn't really change the equation yet. And I think that's going to be a shift over time. And I think the iPad Pro is sort of like one more step in that direction of, hey, if you want to do your job on a tablet, that's great. You can do it. Here's a really good one to do it on. But that doesn't mean that the Mac is going away or going to die or anything like that. So you're not saying that we should build a wall around the iPad, otherwise it's going to take our MacBooks away. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going to let that comment just go right by. Uh, no, I don't, because because the reality... Mike is just dying. Uh, because the reality is that people will always need different types of tools to get their job done, right? Like People like us who make things for a living, and Federico, you and I especially as people who do a lot of writing, um, it's a very different skill set than someone who is doing like computational analysis on the human genome. Like those people are always going to need computers, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they are going to need supercomputers. They're going to need as much hardware as they can buy. And, and it's just a gradient of what people need. And so, so what if the gradient changes a little bit over time? I think it should, you know, if you looked at Frederick, like you, for example, as someone who is a writer and an editor for a living, 30 years ago, you would have been doing all of that on a typewriter or some very basic word processor. And the idea that you're going to do all of your work on a computer one day probably seemed crazy. And and now it is it has sped all the way through the personal computer revolution, through everyone has a PC, to now you're doing it on a tablet, which is even more futuristic than a computer was 30 years ago. I think all that is is a shift. I, I think everybody can still buy the machine they want to buy in 10 years. If I still want to use a Mac or still have to use a Mac, I'm going to be able to do that. And I, just, I don't think it's worth going crazy over yes. because the iPad Pro doesn't really solve a lot of those problems yet. And even if it does, like, who cares? They're still going to sell Macs. You know, they're not uh, – this idea that the, that the MacBook is going to go away in three years or five years is just really crazy to me. And I guess there's – you could say – a lot of people are kind of afraid that, that the Mac is going to end up like the iPod Classic, you know, that it did a very, it solved a very specific job, and now that's done by, by the iPhone. And you could argue that, you know, most people are fine with music on the iPhone, but there's people like Steven who need, you know, an iPod Classic because they like the, the old school way of listening to music. And <laughs> to be fair, they did stop selling that. <laughs> yes. Um, but I believe there's a fundamental difference is in that. Apple gives more importance to the Mac ecosystem than to the iPod Classic, and that sure. you cannot compare a music player to a whole, you know, desktop operating system. And right. what's crazy to me, I agree with you, Stephen. What I believe is, we'll be fine, you know. And what's crazy to me is that I see people saying that you know um, the iPad is only good for <laughs> writing reviews of the iPad and that's crazy because you just need to look around you and you see doctors using iPads and you see you know I, I once talked to a person who managed who managed um, a vineyard 
um, so they they make wine and they only use his iPads on the field. They use his iPads for the accounting system. And just look around you. You can see people using iPads as computers, just like you can see people using Macs as computers. They they are both computers. And we are we are so at least some of us are so stuck on the on the vocabulary notion of what a computer is that we're missing the practical implementation of the computer, which is a tool that lets us do work, that lets us play, and that lets us be entertained and stay in touch with others. So it's not as much as what the computer is, it's what the computer does. And so if for you, Stephen, the computer is, you know, the Mac at your desk with the keyboard and with a bunch of hard drives and with the relatives in the attic, you know, the old computers, that's fine. Maybe the computer for me is the iPad and maybe for some kid in China, the computer they use is the iPhone because they only, you know, they use Line and they do all their shopping and entertainment in Line. And you know what? We're fine. And everyone's mm-hmm. fine. And I don't believe we could argue about, you know, the the design of the software and the the APIs and all the technical differences between them. But arguing what a computer is today, it's just crazy. It's just what if I you know go to somebody and says, you know, you're driving a car, but your car is not really a car. The only car is the original Ford from, you know, a hundred years ago. It's not about the definition of a computer, it's about the utility of the computer. And computer is everything. It's a smartphone, it's an iPad, it's a Mac. And I honestly don't understand the fixation with, you know, defining right. what people should do and how they should do it. Right. And, you know, there's, I want to come back in, a, in an episode and talk more about the idea of, of one OS versus multiple OSs. You know, there's, um, even in the chat room right now, the, the idea that you know, if if Microsoft is successful with the um, Windows 10, yeah, yeah, all in one OS, Windows 10 type thing, like, does that put pressure on Apple to do that? And then there's even talk on the Apple side of like, well, maybe the iPad should have its own variant of iOS, which is also crazy. Um, I, I I think that's not a big deal because people who buy these products, like the consumers who are going to buy an iPad or buy a MacBook and do their job on it then like they don't care like as long as they can do their work and it's it's fast and it's easy and it's secure and it's affordable like that like <laughs> consumers don't care about like what stack your software is built on they just don't and yes it may make developers lives harder or easier but if if any if the history of the app store has taught us anything is that developers will um They'll adapt, and they, you know, there's there's maybe software that we're not getting now because the App Store is what it is, but there's still really good software being made for the iPad and, and for the iPhone and for the Mac. And so, I don't know. I agree with you, Federico. Like, it's all sort of like it's interesting to talk about, like intellectually, and even as someone mm-hmm. who is, you know, you and I are, if this were like a battlefield, which it is not, um, like you and I sort of have different stances on this because of the way yeah. that we work. But the reality is, like. Like you said, it doesn't really matter because these products aren't going away. And and as long as you can get your job done and you can meet those requirements I just laid out, then like, what does it really matter? And you know what I what I what I learned this week is because I got some you know I wouldn't say criticism or negative comments, just very strong diverging opinions. Um, 
but what I learned is is a person's simplicity is someone else's masochism. And <laughs> for me, the iPad is, you know, the essence of getting work done in a simple way. And to someone else, that may appear as this guy is going through all these problems and apps and workflows. This guy's crazy. He's a masochist. Uh, but it only depends on your perspective. And for me, I could say, you know, masochism pays the rent. And, <laughs> you know, uh, again... What a great title. We're, we're just fine. Everyone, everyone does work in, in their own way. What we need to discuss is, I, I feel like, what we can do to, to empower more people. How can we change the iOS APIs to create new kinds of apps? Those are the, the problems. Let's not argue about what I do or what Steven does, or what Mike does. That's not the matter. The matter is looking ahead, you know, 10 years from now, what kind of mobile software, what kind of desktop software do we want to make? And let's make that happen, you know? That's what I'm, I continue to think about every day. And that's, for me, the core of the, of the, the story here. What can we do to do better? Not who's right and who's wrong right now. Yep. Let's talk about this thing. Um, so I want to talk about one thing with the hardware that's been rattling around in my brain. Uh, I watched a video when the Surface came out. Um, Satya Nadella was talking to Nilay Patel and they were in a store. And they were talking about the Surface book and they were talking about the Surface Pro 4. And when they were talking about the Surface Pro 4, Satya kept referring to it as a digital clipboard. He kept saying digital clipboard, digital clipboard. And I thought, that's such a weird thing. Why do you keep saying that? Like, <laughs> that sounds so strange. But that's how the iPad Pro feels to me. Because it is this weirdly massive thing, which I can't explain it, but feels way bigger in portrait, like... So, like, you know, if you think that it's just scaled up, right, which is effectively what it done and taken the 10-inch and just, like, dragged it, di like, diagonally, right, stretched it out. The the difference for the portrait, for me, feels way bigger than the difference in landscape. Do, you, do either of you feel that way? Like, I hold it in portrait, and I'm like, oh, my God, this thing is massive. And yeah. I hold it in landscape and don't feel that way. I, I have that exact thought, especially looking at apps that are content-heavy. You know, it's, uh, I mean, the home screen looks silly either way, but... If you open like <laughs> Slack or Safari and it's in portrait, it's just like, holy cow, this thing. I'm like holding a billboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's very peculiar. Uh, I mean, I want to just say flat out up top that I love it so much. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I love I love this iPad. I love it dearly um, because it is the best. It is also the best iPad for content consumption. <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh yes, there we go. <laughs> it is both the iPad Pro and the iPad Con. Uh I, I like that joke very much. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody else does, but I think it's very clever. Um it really is though, because they built that. They put yeah. incredible speakers in it, right? My yeah. my MacBook Pro is just sitting there now closed. We we don't we watch all of our uh videos and stuff on this thing now. Because also it takes up less space to watch the videos. Right. Oh yeah, the the koala is gonna be upset. Well, the koala can <laughs> can go hide up a tree. Um, <laughs> like so, for example, like sometimes we we eat dinner downstairs on like the coffee table, and if we have like a meal which requires multiple plates, right? Let's say we've made some a Mexican dish or something, then the plate is the table is mainly covered in in bowls and plates. 
So when we do that, I have to find a HDMI cable, grab my laptop, plug my HDMI cable into the TV, and we watch it on the TV. This is crazy, right? We, I know this is going to kill people that we sit in a room with a TV right in front of us, but still watch stuff on the, the MacBook <laughs> or the iPad in front All of the, the TV. Time. But it's yes. just how we are. Everyone needs to just get over it. Um, but now the iPad takes up less space to, to put down, right? I got a smart cover for it because it's the only accessory in this country. Um, <laughs> and I'm able, it takes up way less space on the desk, right? Because I haven't got the keyboard in the way. Uh, so it's great for that stuff. Um, I love uh, multitasking, right? All the space for all the apps. Um, and I just love that, like, this thing is so large and, and I'm able to just, like, see all my stuff there. And it feels like a kind of futuristic, two handed desk of some description. It's like the original Surface, right? Uh, I I really really do love this. I love this so much that I've started to put stickers on it. Yes, no, there no, are stickers no, on the no. back. I'm currently in that awkward phase where like there aren't enough, right? So like currently it's it's maybe like a third covered <laughs> in like specific <laughs> areas. It's like when you're starting to get a beard. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's patchy right now. It's going through a change, right? But he'll be okay on the other side. Uh, so, uh, but I'm amassing that. I have a teachy seal of quality on there. I figured it was the right, uh, oh, the perfect, right sticker perfect. for this thing. So I'm starting to just put it on there. And do you know why I'm doing this? Because I love this thing, right? This is this really is the device for me for so many different things and I'm so excited for when I can finally get a keyboard for this and when I can get a pencil for this we'll talk about that in a minute because I think it will bring it even further along in that route but it just it just remains frustrating for me and I was talking about this on Upgrade we spoke about it in, in detail so you should go listen to that episode about the fact that you know I can't edit podcasts uh, safely on this. There are apps, and we spoke about it earlier, that can maybe do it. But I, as of yet, don't trust them. But I feel mm-hmm. like over time that's going to change. And what it's seeming like right now is my MacBook Pro will pretty much only ever leave this house if I'm getting on an airplane. Other than that, I'll be taking the iPad. Uh, I'm all in on this, guys. I really, really am. I I adore it. I really do. That's a, that's high praise yep. from you Mike it's, it's grabbed me man it, it really really has uh, for everything for, for like for reading Twitter for watching movies for responding to emails like I'm still in the same issues where a bunch of apps that I use aren't updated and you yeah. notice it way more because they look ridiculous they just look yeah. ridiculous um, but I'm confident that the majority of those apps will receive those updates um, but it's just you know, I feel like it's a matter of time. And that that app, Ferrite, uh, I am the the podcast editing app. I am going to take a look of it, look at it, and I will maybe try editing something on it at some point in the future, just to see what it's like. Um, but yeah, I am I'm all in, guys. I really am. And and it's it seems like a bright future for this thing. I'm very happy to hear that, Mike. I got a technical question. So please don't be upset. I'm not going to be upset. Okay, promise. Okay. Okay. Promise. So. Hypothetically, let's say that I managed to power the USB interface that I use with my microphone mm-hmm. and to have the power in the USB interface mm-hmm. and have data going into the iPad. Can I run Skype and Ferrite in split view and talk to you guys and record my local audio? On no. the other, no. Why no, not? No, there, it isn't possible to have the audio pass through and record in another application. They are like completely separate from each other. No, that's a bummer. Yeah, and yeah. and that is because 
Well, it's possible to do if both of those apps integrate that audio bus thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but currently, it's it's not possible. What I thought you were going to ask me is how I would feel if you wanted to do that, right? And my feeling on this... Oh, we're, we're past feelings here, Mike. Well, my, my feeling about all of this, and it's the same with editing a show on, on a device like this, is I am... Um, my, my thing is all about trust of the device. Mm. And as of yet, like, I don't trust the iPad to do this because I've not done it for a specific period of time or and also it's maybe new in being able to be capable even to do Mm -hmm. tasks like this i genuinely believe that in the future i will feel comfortable about it i'll be happy about it but right Mm -hmm. now i just struggle to trust these devices Mm -hmm. to be able to do this that specific type of work I, i trust it more than enough to do many many other things but the thing that is like intrinsically important to my business and is the way that I make money and is complicated. And if, like, for example, I start something and then lose it means time and money lost. Yeah. Uh, that is why I'm just a little bit hesitant of being able to go down this road yet. Fair enough. Thank you. Stephen, how do you feel about, about the iPad Pro? I feel conflicted <laughs> uh, deeply. I've gone from swings of this is insane i'm going to return it to this is an insane device and i love it um it's like we spoke about before i mean my air 2 is not uh, really a work computer it is sort of a consumption device reading netflix um research if i'm supposed i'm writing history stuff like youtube and notes kind of at the same time that's that sort of thing not doing spreadsheets not doing editing or a lot of writing on it but um the the interesting thing to me uh, with the Pro is not necessarily the power of it, although that is nice. Uh, it actually is just the simple thing of the screen size that split view and slide over and everything are just much nicer on this bigger display. And um, and the, the biggest thing that I like is the software keyboard. It's finally a uh, software keyboard and iPad that I can use really comfortably. You Such American. an American. Yeah. Such an American. Wow. Because it's terrible yeah. for everybody else. <laughs> It's it's just wrong. What I'm saying has nothing to do with the layout. It, it really is the size of the keys that it is um, mm. much more comfortable than even the Air 2 keyboard for, for me just to, to type directly on the glass. Yeah, but my problem is some of the keys are the wrong size. <laughs> no, <that's fine. laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Well, we're being on yeah. yeah. Pair it with a magic keyboard, you'll be set. Um, and so I've been using it a lot, and I've been using it for more work stuff than I have ever used the Air 2. But then I go to use it in that sort of consumption role, and it's kind of silly. Um, and hmm. uh, if even a little um, troublesome to use it if you're you know, watching something in bed or, or that sort of thing. So, so I don't know. I, I will say, and I shared this thought with you guys uh, earlier, that I picked up my Air 2, and it felt really tiny, which is worrisome. <laughs> so... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to keep it or not. If if I do decide to keep it, I, I will get the bigger one. I I just bought the 32 gig just to try it and take advantage of Apple's uh, return policy. But um, so, so I don't know. I need some more time with it. At this point, I'm leaning towards keeping it, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. Um, you might still be in the honeymoon period, right? Exactly. So I'm going to run out the clock on this return thing and, and see. I've got I got a week from today uh, or a week from tomorrow. The and part of my decision is like tied up and we can just move on into this 
is that I can't uh, I can't find a pencil for the life of me. And I even have like the business team hook up at the Apple store and they're supposed to call me when they get one in and they're going to reserve, like hold it for me. But uh, they're just not, just can't be found. And I, I don't necessarily want it from like a, I'm not an artist. I'm not really a, a sketcher or someone who doodles or draws a lot. But for me, it, it will help me understand the device better. And uh, I'm not interested in the smart keyboard. Like I, I used it in, the, I used both in the store and the smart keyboard is a uh, dumpster fire, uh, at least the way that, wow. that I want a keyboard to be. <laughs> But um, I would like to like fully experience it with the pencil, and uh, I can't yet, which is frustrating. They screwed up so bad. Yeah, I don't know what they've done, but they screwed up so badly. Like, there's no way around this. Like, and they've screwed up about it in every possible way, right? One, the device is out, and this isn't out. Two, they are advertising this. Like, the TV ads have the pencil in them. Yep. So much so that when I mentioned, uh, like I was talking to my mom about, I uh, like, you know, she was like, what are you doing today? I said, I'm going to the Apple store. She's like, again, what are you going to the Apple store for? So I told her about the pencil. She's like, oh, is that the one on the TV? Right? So the TV <laughs> ads, right, are there. Yeah. They have them in the stores so you can try them out, but you can't buy them anywhere. And the other part of it is they're not talking about it. Like, there's nothing from Apple about what is going on here. They are f- over. You have to wait over a month if you order it online. And I have tried in all of London. There is not, uh, as of yesterday, from a call that I made to the uh, Apple online team, they were checking stock for me, and there was not one pencil in all of London at 10 a.m. in the morning when the stores open. That's crazy. Like I don't know what they're doing. Um, I mean, I understand Black Friday, that kind of thing. Like I get all of that, but my feeling is they should have just waited. Yeah, and, and they've waited before. The iPad Mini came out basically the week of Black Friday, like, yep. um, and it was very constrained even then. I mean, they really slipped into like almost Christmas to the iPad Mini really kind of reached acceptable stock levels. Um, but I guess that's the trade-off, right? That you have to decide: do you want the iPad out early and then the pencils and everything be ready? Um, I finally just ordered one online, and it's like almost Christmas before it's going to get here. It's like five weeks, and the um, Either, either way, uh, I was just surprised that Apple didn't really say anything about it. Um, that it was just like, oh, you go to order it. And I just had assumed that all this stuff would be available at the same time, like yep. a normal person. Uh, and it and it's not. And I, I really think it's frustrating. And talking to the, um, talking to people at the Apple Store here, it really seems like people are frustrated by that, and they're getting a lot of questions and. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are just going to hold off on their purchase until they can uh, they can have both because for a lot of people that's a big draw and it just it's sloppy you know the the Apple Watch release was sloppy where you could order them and then yeah if if you want a black link when you were waiting like two years I mean it really was like <laughs> out of control um, and they get it right with the iPhone but but like every other product the Mac Pro right shipping months and months and months after you ordered it it just they have this problem, and maybe it's maybe it's that uh, there was some technical issue. Maybe it's that you know they had a supplier problem, and who knows, right? I don't envy the problem of making things at scale at Apple scale because it, it seems incredibly difficult, and I'm not smart enough to do it. Uh, but you got to communicate, you got to set the expectations, and they just didn't, and so you have a bunch of people like running around in circles trying to find this thing and being frustrated that they can't that they can't purchase it. It annoys me when Apple uh, allow memes to be created about themselves. 
right? So like, <laughs> this is becoming a meme now that that like a product comes out and you can't buy it, right? Because you know we you just mentioned the Apple Watch, right? It was it was the same the Apple Watch. It's the same here. It's mm-hmm. like you don't have to let this happen. Like the it's not like that you know the the iPad Pro is a baby and it's coming when it's coming. You choose the day that it was released. Like you can choose that if you want to. So it tells me they made the choice to be like, no, we'll just do this because of X and we'll go for it. And I know that there are business businesses need to make money, but a business like Apple's, considering the way that they talk about things, also really care about customer satisfaction. And you've got a lot of unsatisfied customers right now because people want to buy your product but cannot buy it. And and I think that it is pecu- very, very peculiar. Uh, and I know that, like, for some people who were very quick and ordered immediately, like, it seems that some people are getting theirs, like, they that weren't getting them, like, on the way. And there are some in some stores, um, but I it greatly concerns me that there aren't any in London, like, at all. And mm-hmm. for as much as I know, there haven't been either, like... I know some people that have been checking as I have. I know some people that have been checking the two flagship stores and it feels like there just haven't been any. And Mm -hmm. that is really, really weird. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, again, it's that like frustration that people are excited about this and you're sort of damaging that excitement. Mm -hmm. And that's not what you want for like what you are as a company are really behind saying this is like the future of computing for some people, for a lot of people. And um hampering that just seems really counterintuitive to what they're trying to do but the good thing for us is uh we get more content out of it because if i would have got a pencil this week then i would have just told you what i think about the pencil but instead i got to complain about it and then in a couple of weeks time i can tell you what yeah. I think well about you know the tim is really concerned about our show notes so yes <laughs> many emails he sends us and uh this yeah. week he's, he's gonna get what he wants this week's episode is also brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. With Igloo, you don't have to be stuck at your desk to get your work done. You can manage your task list from your beautiful new iPad Pro while you're sitting in the garden. You can share status updates with your team on your iPhone as you're leaving a client site. And you can access the latest version of a file from home on your Retina iMac. You can do this in your pajamas as well and nobody will ever know. These days, everything is mobile. Your work should be too. You no longer have to be tied to a specific device, a specific operating system, or a specific network work to get on your internet. With Igloo, you can manage everything from any device that has a web browser. It's going to work because they care about modern web standards and they build their platform to work perfectly within that. They have responsive design built right in and they allow you to customize your Igloo and configure it to look and feel exactly how you want. You can give it the branding that you need and you can also customize different areas, different group spaces. So different uh, areas of your teams can log into their own group spaces and they'll get all of the functionality and all of the tools that they need to get their work done if they don't need the status update thing a certain team maybe the accounting team or maybe the marketing team don't need status updates you can just remove it it's very very easily people these days as well they love to to have their documents with them wherever they are right it's part of the mobile working that people have these days and so services like box and google drive and dropbox is stuff that people use because it gives them the ability to access their files immediately wherever they are the problem with things like this is if you work in a big company and people are taking those documents and putting them onto their own personal accounts and those platforms that can be a security risk so igloo have integrated all of these services into their easy to secure platform so you're able to keep your customers and your employees 
safe and secure and all the documents and stuff within it. They have 256-bit encryption for Igloos, single sign-on and Active Directory integrations. All of this stuff, I'm sure, is like very exciting for people that really care about those things. I know what single sign-on means, and that's very good. And 256-bit encryption sounds like lots of encryption, so that sounds pretty good too. It's time to break away from the internet that you hate. Go and sign up for Igloo right now, and you can try it out for free for any team of up to 10 people. For as long as you want, sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for their support of this show and the lovely Relay FM. So we asked the listeners, the people in the world, for some questions for us about the iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, you can always send in your questions, by the way. You can send them to our Twitter account. We are underscore connected FM. And so the first one uh, comes from Jan, or Jan. I'm going to go with Jan. Uh, Jan wants to know, which keyboard do you prefer? I'll throw this to you, Federico, first, as you've had the most time. Uh, Apple or Logitech? I know last week you were saying that the... Uh, is it Smart Keyboard? Magic Keyboard? I can never remember which smart one Smart Keyboard. Okay, yeah. the, the Smart Keyboard is the one that you were sticking with. Has that remained? So if, you, if we're only talking about the keyboard, I would say I prefer the Logitech Keyboard. I mm-hmm. prefer because it's backlit because you know the keys are feel better to me but as the, the the accessory that I would carry around with me every day I would just say the smart keyboard you know because it's, it the the Logitech case it's just bulky and and it's difficult to get the iPad Pro into the case and out of the case um I don't like the plastic enclosure at all and I if you were to ask me what kind of accessory should I buy because I want to take it, you know, uh, take it out with my iPad and just put it in, in my backpack and, you know, travel, I would say the smart keyboard. I, I, if I were to buy one myself today, uh, I'd buy the, the smart keyboard. And so, Stephen, you said you didn't like the smart keyboard. Um, have you had any time with the Logitech Create? Uh, I have not. Um, I know they've had them in and out of stock at my store, but I have not. Uh, I've not played with it. I think what I will probably end up doing if I um, keep this thing, or even if I go back to the Air Two, is do what I have normally done and pair it with a uh, Apple Bluetooth keyboard. I really like the Magic Keyboard. Uh, the names are so confusing. Um, yeah. uh, the new one, the new Slimline one, and uh, so I think if I I will end up just kind of going that route again. That doesn't make it extremely portable, but um, I work at home, and that's not a that's not a huge uh, a huge worry of mine right now. So I've I've had very little time uh, with the smart keyboard every time, uh, and it seems fine. I'm gonna get one of those uh, at some point in maybe 2020 when they're available in stores. Uh, because I want to, I want to try, I want to try that out. I want it to have a self-contained unit, um, mm-hmm. like a laptop. I know, I understand how you know, I understand, like a laptop. So it's always there, and I can just grab it, and it's part of it, and it's the stand and the keyboard. Um, I, I really am interested in trying that. So that's something that I will be giving a go uh, when I can get my hands on one. Uh, Rob would like to know. Uh, does the pencil work in apps only if they've been optimized for it? And does it work differently in different apps, Federica? Well, developers need to optimize for the predictive touch and coalesced touch APIs uh, if they want to take advantage of the... And, and there's also you know other APIs for the pencil. Um, 
So developers have to optimize for the and to use these new APIs to support the pencil, the the pressure stuff, the the. the the angle that you want to use your pencil, those are new APIs. They require, uh, you know, an update from developers. You can still use the pencil in on the iPad Pro. In other apps, it's just going to be like a finger. So you control the iOS interface and you can draw just like you could draw with your finger. It's just not going to be updated for, you know, the, the other features of the pencil, which is higher, you know, scan rate and, and the pressure sensitivity, the tilt. Uh, th those features require require an update from the developers. If the app, if the developers don't update their apps, you can use a pencil on the screen. It's just going to be a replica of your finger. So the uh, the apps that have integrated uh, properly like paper and stuff like that. I'm I'm seeing many people say that like it's not as good as the Notes app. Like is yep. Apple does Apple have some secret sauce or is it just that these developers maybe need more time to tweak? Developers need more time to tweak and they Basically, Apple just gives you the APIs and the, a way to access the data that comes from the pencil. So uh, there's data that comes in from the pressure sensitivity. There's another API that's called the azimuth, which gives you, uh, my understanding is the orientation vertically of the pencil on the screen. Uh, developers have this data. They just need to build their engines for it. So the Apple engine in, in the Notes app is better, I think, than other apps. Procreate come, comes close, I would say. Uh, Basically, Apple gives you a way to read the data that comes from the pencil. The display does the rest, but the developers have to build their own drawing and sketching engines in their own apps. All right, so it's a case of like refinement over time to get everyone yeah. to the to the point where it can be like the Notes app if they want it. To yeah. Be. Okay. Well, yeah. that's fine then, because I, I mean, I'd heard that it's better and worse in some apps, and I guess that completely explains why. So the next question comes from Marina. In split screen, is there a keyboard shortcut to switch between the two open apps without touching the hmm. screen? No. Uh, well, yeah, you could kind of do it, I guess, if you if you activate the command tab switcher. And if you put the focus in another app, that should become the active one. I haven't tried that, but I'm pretty sure that it does work like this. So... The, this is not an official shortcut. It's more like a workaround uh, because it's maybe a dumb decision of iOS 9 not to have keyboard shortcuts to interact with split view and slide over. Uh, you need to touch the screen to tell iOS, yes, this is the active app that I'm currently using. It's the last touched one and that's the one receiving keyboard input right now. Uh, I think you should be able to select the active app with command tab, but I'm not completely sure. So Marina, you should try that. Brian would like to know, can you truly take notes with the pencil using the pencil, like in a real note-taking mode? That's all that Brian's interested in. So uh, I spent just a couple of minutes of a pencil because I was going to run to another store to see if I could get one. Um, and my experience with it is it's the closest to note-taking um, the like that I have ever seen. So... If you imagine a piece of paper as large as the iPad and you take a pencil and you put the pencil on the paper, the line is the same size that I would expect it to be, which is not the way that it's ever been with any other of these types of things. You have to zoom in, right, to get it to be small. I was able to write very small and it looked like my handwriting on a piece of paper. So if people are, I mean, I know that I am the pen guy, right, and, and I will have a more kind of... I'm gonna. I want to spend some more time of it and do a more thorough kind of thinking and, and, and a review for on um, the pencil because I feel like I may be a person in the place that can 
talk about it, right? Because I care about this stuff. But I would say thumbs up on that, at least, that it looks like my handwriting on a piece of paper, which is unlike anything else that I've seen from this type of stuff before from a, a stylus on an iPad. Yeah, my my only experience with handwriting was that image that I sent you on CGP Grey and that I also used on the on the Mac Stories review. I do not handwrite, like never at all. I, yeah. Um, so you know, <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> it feels pretty good, but I don't even remember what a pen and paper feels like. So, you know. Uh, Munish would like to know, do you find the screen to take more smudges than previous models, or is it just me? Oh my mm. god, yes. What is wrong with this thing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably, <laughs> <It's> yes. bad. <laughs> what is going on here? It's, it, it's, they've changed something. They must have changed something. Yeah, I would say for the pencil, maybe. There's some, you know, maybe the coating is different on the screen. I don't know. Apple didn't tell me. It's got. They just said it's got the same, uh, what is the, the term, oleophobic, oleophobic uh, coating? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of the previous iPads. So, there you go. If they have, they've done something different to it because it's not the same. Yeah. Like, it is it is very different. I look at it sometimes and I'm like, what happened to you? <laughs> How did you get this way? What have you gone through? <laughs> yeah. What, what troubles have you seen, iPad? <laughs> I've, I've seen hands and fingers all over me. <laughs> like, was I eating chicken wings and then using this? Like, <laughs> wow. what's going on here? Yeah. It, is, it yeah. is crazy. It seems to retain a lot of that lovely finger oil. Chris would like to know, how far can you push iPad Pro memory? Like, how many apps or browser tabs does it take before a reload or refresh? I feel like, Federico, if you are the person uh-huh. that would know this, if it's possible to know this. So uh, I only got two uh, anecdotes, maybe. Um, one is the workflow extension uh, that I use to combine images and and maybe access you know files that are not like just a few kilobytes actually a few megabytes per file uh the the workflow extension seems faster and like it takes fewer seconds to exec- to execute and to finish than on the iPad or 2 but last night I was uh I, I was playing around with uh, javascript actions in in one writer, which is this text editor for the iPhone and iPad. And I was looking up, because I don't know JavaScript, I was looking up, you know, Stack Overflow, Google search all over the place. I got like 30 tabs open. And in one particular example, I had opened the web app to debug a uh, JavaScript uh, regular expression like uh, 30, 40 minutes before. Then I went on you with... You really are very special. Then I, w- <laughs> then I went on with my research and I opened like maybe a couple of dozen tabs after that. When I when I went back to the... I was like, oh, I lost the, re- the, the regex that I was trying. But I went back to the web app, so maybe like 15 tabs before, and it was still open and, and stored in memory, and I could copy the, the expression, and I didn't lose any of my, of my, of my progress there. So it, in Safari, it, uh, it was running full screen, so it wasn't in split view. Uh, but in Safari, it was much, much better than the iPad R2. So I, I would say it retains, you know, it, it retains app state a lot more than the iPad R2. And, you know, it's not just speed, it's also, you know, how long can you keep something open without having to reload it from from, from a cold start. So, yeah, there's progress there. Uh, Marina would like to know, uh, I get that the pencil doesn't pair when you plug into a non-iPad Pro iOS device, but does it charge? 
another funny detail here. Um, I was I tested this. Uh, I didn't write it in my review because I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, I uh, so you plug it into the iPad Pro, it charges. I plugged it into the iPad Air two, it charges. I plugged it into the iPhone, and I saw the pencil battery going down. <laughs> I saw it in the widget. And so was the pencil so, charging the iPhone? What was I, it doing? I have no, I have no idea. I, I would say it's it was a, some kind of bug, and that was before I put the iOS nine point two beta on my phone. So it might as well have been a a, a bug of iOS nine point one, or maybe it's just you know not meant to be plugged into an iPhone. In theory, this shouldn't happen because you should be able to plug it into any sort of lightning capable accessory or you know charger, and it should charge. But I saw with my eyes the widget and the battery going down for you know a couple of units in in the you know the percentage status of the battery. So no idea what that happened. Uh, I would consider you know i would suggest plug the pencil into the ipad pro or into a lightning cable don't plug it into an iphone you know because just try to do what apple says not what it's in theory possible to do uh again maybe it was a bug just one time but i did see it with my eyes so unless i was drunk which i wasn't because it was the middle of the afternoon plus i don't drink a lot uh i I did see the widget going down on the iphone (laughs) no idea why (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and finally, Ling would like to know, is it possible to use the iPad Pro in bed? If so, has it hit Federico's face at some point? So I would like to to ask the second <laughs> question. Has the iPad Pro hit you in the face yet? No, okay, it hasn't. Uh, it, it is possible to use it in bed. Uh, there's a disclaimer here. You have to turn the brightness all the way down. <laughs> that's, that's one uh, thing I always you need to do. do. I always do. Always left le- uh, less than 50% for me. All the time, never full brightness on my iPad. No, never full brightness. But I, I have personally found that the only way uh, to stop my girlfriend from being upset that I used the the iPad Pro in bed when she's trying to sleep is the brightness has to be all the way down. Oh no, no, that would be crazy. That's why. But it's fine when the lights are off, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I my, my girlfriend isn't particularly upset about brightness. Um, what what I what I wanted to say is I see some people saying that it's uh it's an, uh, an uncomfortable device even with two hands, uh it's uncomfortable in portrait. Uh, you that's why I, I in the review I said you should really go to an Apple store and try an iPad Pro in your hands on your own because, uh, I don't know Mike did you look at my hands when we met? Uh, do you think I have big hands? What you do have big your... hands. I have big I hands too. Like this is the yeah. thing that we have. I, I don't know if it's the size of your hands is the is the thing that helps in this. It you just need to accept that it's heavy, and you're gonna yes. if you want to use it comfortably, you're just gonna have to change some of the ways that you've used iPads. Like it's not the same. You can't hold it in the same ways. Uh, you can't support it in the same ways. But you just need to adapt to it, which I have. And you know, people say, "Oh, why are you adapting for the device?" Because I love the device, and I use it in bed every evening. I use it in bed in the mornings too, and I just have to hold it differently. Maybe sometimes I sit differently, so I prop it up on my knees. Yeah, um, exactly. It's just what you do, right? And you you just change the way that you interact with the device. It's the same as when I went from an iPhone five to an iPhone six plus. Like you just adapt to the device if it's something that you really want. And then you just go for it and you work with it and that's just how you live. Yeah, because the benefits of the overall experience 
kind of outweigh the you know the adaptation of ergonomics. So, <laughs> uh, I, the, I I do what Mike does. I prop it up on my knees or maybe rest my elbows on my on my lap. It, you know, some minor adjustments, no big deal. I want to use this device, so you know, some smaller changes are necessary. That's what I would say. Stephen, I'm assuming that um, you haven't really used the embed so much. No, Stephen uh, only has a, an Apple II embed, so doesn't use the iPad. That's embed. right. Yeah, it's just on a little cart. I mean, you guys are right. It it is big, and you do have to think about um, what that means in all your various use cases. So you know, it's it's something that it's really hard to talk about because it, in some ways, it's so much bigger than than I expected, but. Um, uh, yeah, it just it takes some adjustments, uh, at least for me. So I have not; it has not fallen on my face. My all my my bones in my face are still intact. There we go. You can expect a bunch more of this type of stuff as we get the accessories in and as we start to live with the devices. I'm interested to see if Stephen's going to stick with his. So you want to keep tuning in to Connected if you want to hear more about the iPad Pro, as I'm sure and hope that many of you do. If you want to catch our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash connected slash 66. Thanks again to our sponsors, Igloo, Smile with Texas Panda 5, and lynda.com. If you want to find Federico's work online, head on over to maxstories.net, and he is also at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I on Twitter. You can find Stephen's work over at 512pixels.net, and he is at ISMH on Twitter, and I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Au revoir. Au revoir. <laughs>